Hello, strangers, and welcome to the Strange Horizons podcast for February 24th, 2014. I'm your host and fearless leader, Anaya Lay. This is the second of two podcasts this week because February brings us the special poetry issue, and we had entirely too much fantastic poetry to squeeze into a single episode. So make sure that if you missed part one, you go back and take a listen to that. For this part, we're starting with Ekphrastic 22, The Drowning Girl, written and read by Jen Grunigan. Jen plays with words and drums for the neo-folk metal band Moss of Moonlight. Her work can be found in, or is forthcoming from, Shimmer, Strange Horizons, Hunger, and Tom Tom Magazine. Sometimes she pretends to be a blogger at jengrunigan.com. After that, The Paper Boy, written and read by Mike Allen. Mike's first novel, The Blackfire Concerto, came out last year from Haunted Stars Publishing, and he's been hard at work on a sequel, working title The Ghoulmaker's Aria. He's about to release a new poetry collection, Hungry Constellations, and his first short story collection, Unseeming, is scheduled to launch from Antimatter Press at the 2014 World Fantasy Convention. By day, Mike works as the arts columnist for the Roanoke Times. He's also the editor of the critically acclaimed Clockwork Phoenix anthologies and the fiction and poetry webzine Mythic Delirium. His mostly monthly audio column, Tour of the Abattoir, appears at Tales to Terrify. Many other poems by Mike can be found in the Strange Horizons archives. Next, we have Food Diary of Gark the Troll by Jesse Randall, read by Tina Connolly. Jesse's poems, stories, and other things have appeared in Asimov's, Flurb, Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet, McSweeney's, and Starline. Her latest book is Injecting Dreams into Cows, Red Hen 2012. Earlier books include The Wandora Unit and A Day in Boyland. A more complete bibliography is at her website. Then we'll have Una Canción de Keys, written by Lisa M. Bradley and read by Lisa M. Bradley and Chiro Fanza. Originally from South Texas, Lisa now lives in Iowa, where she writes, raises a daughter, and watches with equal parts amusement and bemusement as her always poor Spanish grows weirder every year. Most recently, her poetry has appeared in Stone Telling and Mythic Delirium. She also has work in The Moment of Change, Fungi, and the WizCon Chronicles. She blogs at cafenowhere.livejournal.com. That's followed by Rehearsal for When He Wakes, written by Anne Carly Abad and read by Julia Rios. Anne writes poetry and stories when she's not training Muay Thai. Her work has appeared or will appear in the Asia Literary Review, the Philippines Graphic Magazine, Writer's Block Literary Magazine, Dreams and Nightmares, and Poetry Cornwall. Find out more about her at thesordthatspeaks.blogspot.com. And there are hyphens instead of spaces or underscores in it. After that, we have the Rotten Leaf Cantata, written and read by Rose Lemberg. Rose's short stories have appeared in Strange Horizons, Fantasy Magazine, Beneath Ceaseless Skies, and other venues. And her poems in Apex, Goblin Fruit, Jabberwocky, and other venues. 
Her poem, In the Third Cycle, took first place in the Strange Horizons reader poll in 2012. And Between the Mountain and the Moon was the winner in 2013. Rose co-edits Stone Telling with Shweta Narian. She has also edited the anthologies The Moment of Change, an anthology of feminist speculative poetry from Aqueduct Press 2012, and Here We Cross. Please visit her website and her live journal. And finally, Rebel, written by Danielle Higgins and read by Claire McBride. Danielle is a screenwriter who enjoys experimenting with poetry, flash fiction, and novels. She is completing her diploma in professional writing and editing, and is currently working on a television series. She enjoys writing character-driven mysteries with elements of the supernatural and horror. Now, settle in. Let's begin. Ekphrastic 22, The Drowning Girl, by Jen Grenigan. My haunting is a loamy skeleton. My loamy skeleton is an unfinished boat on the shore, the ribbing your ribs, I wish, I think. I found seashells in my cereal this morning, sand in the tub. Tomorrow, she tried pulling me down the drain, but nowhere to go. The Paper Boy Ghosts almost never harangue their killers. It's those who can actually feel guilt and shame who draw a ghost from hiding, regardless of whether they had anything to do with the death that spawned the haunting. Aaron Friedrich, These Bloody Filaments Alley behind our house, car parked against the fence, a beat-up four-door compact, dead teen folded on the tiny back seat. All his blood emigrated through the new doors, moved out into the upholstery. Cop had a laugh, said the boy came up short, owed someone meaner, had to pay exact change, no pennies left for his eyes. Sure we didn't hear nothing? Struggle must have gone on for a while. He could have called for help. Guy at our church owns a jewelry store. He grins around his reading glasses. They catch the one who did it. That's two thugs gone, he says. They towed that car off weeks ago, but the boy, he doesn't know. We've seen him draped on our chain-link gate like he tried to climb over and couldn't make it. Flimsy as the paper that shared his death in four short paragraphs. No moon, nothing's waving when we peek through the blinds. Just a piece of trash tortured by the wind, so it looks like a face. Food Diary of Gark the Troll by Jesse Randall Monday. Breakfast. Seventy boxes granola. No raisins. Lunch. Thirty-five chickens. Snack. One small child. Dinner. Forty chickens. Tuesday. Breakfast. Forty boxes granola. No raisins. Fifteen gallons yogurt. Snack. Five chickens. Lunch. Two and a half people. Snack. One half person. Dinner. Forty-two chickens.
Wednesday. Breakfast. Fifty-five boxes granola. With raisins. Lunch. Twelve goats. Dinner. Three people. Snack. One baby. Una canción de keys. By Lisa M. Bradley. Patricia. Nieta. My mother wouldn't understand if I mailed her these cactus spines smeared with blood. Mine. My neighbor doesn't understand. When I bring her a cup of sugar, she hasn't asked for. I say this as if I do understand. But I don't. I only know I want to give. I want to offer up something, like a key on a kite string. We buried my grandmother with her keys, a gentle joke at her expense. She lived with iron bars over her windows and doors, but worried she'd lose her keys and die in a fire, the house struck by lightning, perhaps, because we kids were heathens who didn't go to church. We pinned the key ring to her lapel before we closed the coffin. Now I think that might have been a mistake. If she wakes up, she might come back home. Emilio, Nieto. Where I grew up, you didn't borrow sugar from the neighbors. You did learn how to unlock a screen door from the outside and the interior door with a bobby pin. At least I did. But that was only for when I got locked out of my own house, I was told. That was before I thought to ask certain questions. But how did you learn, Tia Ophelia? Before picket fences turned to chain link and screen doors to iron gates, the only thing that stayed the same? The cactus, stubborn as the iron curlicues guarding our doors and windows, prickly pear, stabby sustenance, nopales, a second line of home defense. Patricia, we are a stubborn lot, brigands and bootleggers and burglars, burros all, one generation of low life after another, though mother managed to hide our white lightning past till I was a teen. We yelled a lot, happy or mad, at the table or across the house, and we all liked to be right. Ya ves, we'd demand, when our omens came to pass, the words rammed into one another. Once we went legit, in our eyes at least, we kept yelling but stopped holding each other hostage for validation. Ya ves, keys, we'd tease. Yes, yes, we'd agree, to keep the peace secretly chagrined to be wrong about anything. Blue-collar rather than black market, but stubborn burros still. La Fantasma I was buried with my keys, but now lie under oleander my children put on my grave. I could go home, but why disturb the roots? I have always loved plants more than people. Why go back? to those ungrateful brats. Ileana, Nieta. Home was always Grandma's house, even when it wasn't. Once, we rented a concrete house with casement windows and mats of baby sunrose, not cactus, flourishing beneath the crank-open glass 
that often got stuck. Iron bars didn't block our views, only mosquito netting, because this was still Texas. Wasps and scorpions and tarantulas, oh my. I loved the baby sunrose. Succulent, but not spiny. No good for nopales rellenos, but maybe in a salad. Not that we ate salads. Juicy, pink-flowered ground cover, so easy to take care of, impervious to drought, indestructible. It burst like blisters beneath our feet. Before storms, we trampled it, running around the house, slamming stuck windows shut. But it always grew back. It grew back as I watched two handymen weld metal bars into the concrete window sills. None of us had proper visors or even glasses, goggles, whatever. I couldn't see the men's faces through the afterburn on my retinas, but I sensed the pity in their gentle gestures, the careful bubble of space between them and me. It grew back as Mother explained how to use the stun gun. I never asked where it came from, though the cops had insisted lightning wouldn't strike twice. It grew back as I huddled in my room at night, feeling watched despite the curtains, exposed despite the new iron screens. I'd grip the black gunstock and squeeze the trigger for 300 kilovolts of crackling reassurance. White fire filled the spark gap, brightened my concrete bunker, burned a Jacob's ladder into my eyes. I'd have lived in that box of lightning forever if I could have. But the batteries. So I'd let go, and in the dark once more, I held my breath, waiting for thunder. And outside the house that wasn't home, the baby sunrose grew back. Renaldo. Hijo. Burying mom with her keys was the last thing we all agreed on. The only? Over the fresh-turned soil, Ophelia suggested oleander. You know how big those bushes get, I said. So we'll have to trim them, she shot back. Yeah, Alma butted in. At least that way you'll pay respects more than once a year, Reynaldo. Quietly, Evelyn said, it's poisonous. Then it's a perfect match, snapped Hugo. What are you bitching about, I said to him. You're not the one she whipped with a belt. No, he said, I'm the one who wiped her ass the last year. We seethed in silence, times five, six if you counted mom. So, Ophelia finally said, Oleander. Oleander. I'm flummoxed. Yes, that's the word. When my sister Evelyn sends her granddaughter, mi sobrina nieta, to my kitchen. Tio Reynaldo, Abigail says, and girl looks so white it's always a surprise to hear the soft, quick T, the well-rolled R. But a good surprise, always. Eva Abuela told me you'd help me with this school project, that you'd have recipes from Tata Abuela. Well, your great-grandma was kind of a half a... Uh, I catch myself, but Abby grins. Haphazard cook, I amend. Must be where mommy gets it, Abby says, and I pity my niece, Iliana. Evelyn, a.k.a. evil abuela, should have sent that girl to me, too. Your great-grandma didn't write down recipes, I explain. She really didn't have to. May refry beans every day, I trail off, remembering soupy bland masses. 
but we can't subject Abby's classmates to that. Bad enough we had it breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But I do remember watching once when she made nopales. Cactus, Abby shrieks. This isn't going to be like that weird salad, is it? Cállate, I say. Fucking baby son rose. They will never let me live that down. Just trust me, I say. Vas a ver. You'll see. A quick trip to La Bodega, the nearest one. There are more in my neighborhood now than when I grew up. As my husband says, thank you, gentrification. And we're set, not for nopales con huevo, the slimy dish mom made, but a cheesy cheat better suited to Abby's palate. Nopales rellenos. I'm unwrapping the newspaper swaddled paddles when a spine pierces my thumb. The bodega clerk must have missed one. It's a sharp key, stabbing into memory. I suck my thumb to stop Spanish curses from spurting out, but nothing can stem the flood of mom in my head, in my kitchen. La Fantasmadre We called them huaraches, I tell Ray, as he and La Nina place the paddles in water dancing with onion, garlic, and salt. No te acuerdas? And there's no need to boil if you buy the smaller ones. He pretends not to hear, but I know better. See his shoulders pinched up around his ears. When the paddles are tender, he lets them cool, then shows her how to butterfly them. If you'd gotten nopalitos, I say, that poor girl wouldn't have to handle a knife. You could just sandwich the cheese between two paddles with some toothpicks. He snorts. This from the woman who used a machete to slice everything, from onions to apples to raw beef, without washing it in between. Renaldo. Now she's calling me hijo ingrato, I tell Abby, who doesn't need me to translate thanks to her cousins, Ophelia's wretched grandkids. She rolls her eyes, though, not quite sure whether to believe me as she hands over the Oaxacan string cheese. You have three kinds of cheese in your refrigerator, I repeat for Abby's dubious benefit. You really had to go out and buy this? And yes, I did. It's more authentic, I tell Mom and Abby. And now Mom rolls her eyes. Authentic. Authentic's using what you already have. She also has opinions about our dredging technique. You're wasting flour. The battle will stick without it. Three eggs is plenty. But I spare Abby that. When water drops shimmy and pop atop the oil and the cast iron skillet, I let Abby lower the first warache, and we both beam at the sizzle, the crackle like benevolent lightning in a pan. I think even Mom is awed into silence by the beautiful browning her great-granddaughter has achieved. Then Mom mutters, Don't let it burn, cabron. La Fantasmadre Y qué milagro. No se quema. I knew it. Boy's queer. When Abby takes that first bite of cactus spun to gold, crema and red salsa commingling on her tongue, my eyes close and my mouth unlocks our family's mantra. Ya ves? Ya ves? Keys? Abigail, bisnieta. See, see, I see. It sounds silly, like a nursery song or a jump rope rhyme, but I don't care. There's magic on my tongue, alchemy, new taste buds rising to the challenge, completing unexpected circuits. It's alive! I open my eyes, and Theo's grinning like a mad scientist. Behind him, 
A woman stands with a slighter smile, like a door, just cracked open. Pink petals in her steel-gray hair, and white light zigzagging from the keys pinned to her lapel. I wipe my mouth and rise to greet her. Bienvenido, bisabuela. It sounds like another song. Gracias, querida, she whispers. And Theo gasps as we await the next verse. Rehearsal for When He Wakes by Anne Carly Abad When they roused me from my thirty-year slumber, my first memory was of that time when I told you you made the best pie. Who'd have thought I'd find a man who cooks better than I ever could? I wish that I'll never run out, I said, and you lectured me once more. The fleetingness of things is the only faculty with which we enjoy. Yet, when you said goodbye as the avian disease took hold, I never could let you go. Call me mad if you wish, but when I allowed us to be frozen, I had nothing but your welfare in mind. I knew they'd find a cure for death, and though you might cry sacrilege, such a thing exists in nature. The hydra cheats, as do bacteria. Why must crumbling doctrines stop us? The cryogenicists are here now. I am alive. Soon you will be too, and we will both be for so long. They say you will be different, having gone through death before preservation. They say you won't know who I am. Would you like to tell him, they ask? But I was just leaving. You have forever to forgive me. The Rotten Leaf Cantata by Rose Lemberg 1. I cannot cry. 2. The leaves fall. Over the long winter they rot under snow. They give birth to new ground. 3. The winters are gone. The leaves, paperback brown and rigid, clog my front yard, too heavy for raking. 4. I have never loved you. 5. I want to buy a piece of furniture, a leather sofa, a Chesterfield, handsome and dignified and enveloping in all the right places. Upon it I will huddle, covered in a blanket of last December's foliage. 6. The dying leaves cocoon me, I transform, a mermaid, a unicorn, a slug, a hedgehog. 7. I do not transform. I stay the same, fat and graying, all my colors bled into the dead leaf wash. 8. My new piece of furniture warps under the weight of the snow. I take the crowbar to take it apart. Isn't that what one is supposed to do in fairy tales? 9. I have never owned a crowbar. 10. It hurts too much to wrap my fingers over the handle. My hands and arms no longer obey me. I, I do not remember if they ever did. 11. Inside the hacked-up Chesterfield, there is a hard box of ormolone enamel, delicate and filled with the finest perfume of fig and peppery musk. 
You say, I have never seen the heart of you. Never cared enough to dab it on my wrists and movements quick and precise. But if I do, if I do, can the smell thread spell the way home? Twelve. There never was a you. You don't know about Ormolu, or how enamel is an anthology of sunsets layered upon each other in waves of translucent color. Thirteen. You don't understand poetry, you say. Have you ever told a lie? The Ormolu box, its sides coral and pink like the edges of a sunset, that is yours. It has come from you, shaped itself perfectly and secreted itself away. It left you bereft and confused, like a heap of wet leaves that will never cease now. You are always waiting to hear the softness of it falling, and yet you hate snow, you say. Fourteen. I will not miss you when you go. The winter will send me crocuses, wrapped in white paper that will melt under my fingers. I will buy a piece of furniture and give my crowbar away, plant crocuses like succulents upon the windowsill and wait for them to wilt. Under the oaks outside, the last year leaves will warp themselves into birds and lift off, heavy and limping, into the inscrutable air. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that batch of poems as much as I did. There's some really great stuff in there. You'll probably note that we had some new voices here. In addition to the poets, we had some external readers. The external readers that you'll be hearing for our poetry throughout the rest of the year and in these podcasts were brought to you by the successful funding of one of our stretch goals last fall. We are still looking for more people who could contribute their voices to the podcast. If you or anybody you know are interested, direct them to the guidelines page on our website and have them submit an audition. While you're at our website, you should also think about leaving a comment on the poems or on the podcast. Let us know what you thought about the content for this month. One last note before you go. Strange Horizons is an entirely volunteer organization supported by donations from our fans and community. If you would like to support us, check out the donate link on our website. That's all for this week. Until next time, stay strange.